Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Gas price hike shocks already hard-pressed consumers in a war economy. This is uh, one of the prices now that we're paying because of this illegal and immoral war. I'm live in Brussels as the EU sanctions Russia and the finance minister rules out more cost-of-living relief measures at home. I can be really clear uh, that the only plans we have in place are the ones that we are now implementing and we're not considering any further steps. Here in Washington as the Taoiseach prepares to sit down with Joe Biden, Michal Martin calls the killing of the Irish cameraman in Ukraine a war crime. We'll get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight VMTV. Well, the energy crisis has certainly escalated for some Irish consumers with big hikes in the cost of gas and electricity. Board Gosh Energy has announced massive price rises in what its customers will be charged for both. They face a 27% increase for electricity and 39% more for gas. And that increase will be applied from next month. Well, the opposition is calling for more government interventions to help consumers struggling with the price shock. What we need to ensure is that there is no uh, gouging by the, by the companies themselves. We see some companies are making very significant profits and we still have to uh, see the impact of the war in Ukraine uh, filter into prices, which is probably going to happen more later on in the year. Well, first to that gas and electricity price hike. Today I'm joined by consumer journalist Sinead Ryan. Sinead, it was certainly eye-watering, wasn't it? I mean, we expected an increase, but perhaps not that scale. Put it into context, it's not the first. There has been a series of price increases over the last 18 months. Oh, there have been absolutely loads of them, Kira. And the, and the issue is that companies have been very reluctant to bite the bullet and just kind of get a big increase out there. So it's been like 1% here and 3% here and 4% there because they're all nervous about jumping ahead and saying, we're the worst, we're the most expensive. So they've been piling up over the last 18 months or so. In fact, about 35 price changes. Now, Board Gosh, who announced their massive increase today, uh, to some extent have been storing up increases because they've been on a consumer price freeze since about the uh, last October, which means that they, they have just avoided any price increases. Now, this was a good marketing exercise for them at the time and they shored up a lot of customers by doing it, but here is the culmination of it because now they all have to be applied together and hence you saw today's really shocking figures. So what is it going to cost people? Well, it's anticipated for a regular um, house, like a normal suburban house, it's probably going to add about 350 euros a year onto the bill. Uh, that's just for gas, 
uh, and about the same, maybe a little bit less for electricity because it's that little bit cheaper. Um, now that is on top of probably around about 500 euros that people are paying more than they were paying, say, at the beginning of 2020. So at the beginning when COVID hit, for instance, uh, people were paying 500, 500 less than they are now and now they're going to be paying about another 350 on top of that. And Huge. What's, and what's interesting is that um, the Taoiseach, Michael Martin, seemed to be blaming this on the war on Ukraine, but that is not the case, is it? It's not the case It's not that yet. simple. No, and, and you heard Pierce Doherty there in your clip saying we haven't yet fed in the prices uh, that, that will result from Ukraine because there haven't been additional supply problems yet. There may well be, but actually um, I, I don't think that has been factored in yet. Now, there is a bit of future proofing going on and Borgosh in their statement today said that they don't want to have to revisit this anytime soon. So they have already built in a kind of like a bump, an insurance policy uh, in those prices. So probably nothing more for, from them for a while to go, but other companies, of course, will be following suit and they will be looking at their own price structures. You're going to have to think that all consumers are going to be affected by this. And the thing is, I suppose, Sinead, it's not just the bill that comes in your door. It has a knock-on effect on everything else, doesn't it? I think this is the bigger issue, actually, Kira. It's not just what you're going to be paying or I'm going to be paying on our gas or electricity bills. Uh, the problem is that energy, of course, is required throughout manufacturing. Uh, so you're going to get probably the biggest sector that will be affected is food production. Uh, data centres, you know, the ones that, that eat up all this, this energy, they're going to be affected. Uh, farming is going to be hugely affected and they're finding the cost of fertiliser because there's so much um, gas that is needed to produce fertiliser. So that is a kind of a ripple effect that we are going to see on the supermarket shelves very, very soon. All right, well, Sinead, you are staying with us and we're going to be discussing this in a lot more detail later in the programme. But now to the war in Europe and the president of Ukraine has said nearly 100 children have been killed so far in the Russian assault on the country. Vladimir Zelensky revealed the stark casualty count of the invasion in a virtual address to the Canadian Parliament this afternoon. Meanwhile, an Irish journalist working for US TV network Fox News has been killed in Ukraine. Fox News said 50-year-old Pierre Shashevsky died in an attack outside Kyiv when his vehicle was struck by incoming fire near the Ukrainian capital yesterday. Well, let's go live to Washington and our political correspondent Gavin Riley, who is there with the Taoiseach, and he has reacted and commented on that uh, tragic death. What did he have to say, Gavin? That's right, Kira. He has said all the things that you would usually expect a Taoiseach to say for a loss like this, that obviously he says that his first thought, his thoughts and prayers are with uh, the family and friends of Mr. Krzyzewski, and that, of course, the Department of Foreign Affairs is providing consular assistance. He's paid particular tribute to Mr. Krzyzewski's line of work, and he's been particularly fulsome in his praise for those who are involved in documenting efforts on the ground, particularly maybe in light of what we've seen in Russia in the last couple of days and how there isn't necessarily the freedom for media there to report the truth of what's going on in the ground in Ukraine. Now, Mil Martin speaking to journalists inside the last couple of hours and said that without journalists and without cameramen and without their bravery that we wouldn't know what we do now know in terms of how this war is being waged on people. He said it's a very, very sad day for his family and of course uh, for his colleagues in Fox News as well. The nature of this war continues to shock but his thoughts and prayers are with the family, he said. It was his first full day of course uh, in Washington. What else is on the agenda? 
Well, we are here at the John F. Kennedy Centre for the Performing Arts, where the Taoiseach is shortly going to be arriving at a function being thrown by Tourism Ireland. That is maybe a sign of how this visit is not necessarily all about diplomacy and political engagement, but also just about drumming up some support for the old sod, trying to get uh, those cash-rich North American tourists to try and come back to Ireland, which of course is an area that Ireland would usually do so well from those sort of tourists, but they haven't been around in great numbers for the last two years because of the pandemic. After that, there's going to be a performance of river dance here, at which the Taoiseach is the guest of honour. That in itself carries some symbolism because one of the last times that river dance was performed in North America, the Taoiseach was president, uh, present. It was Leo Varadkar. It was March the 10th, 2020. And that was the last show that river dance got to put on for about two years because of the circumstances that prevailed very shortly afterwards. Earlier today, he was unveiling a bust of John Hume at the residence of the Irish ambassador. But he's also been undertaking a day of meetings up on Capitol Hill. He will, of course, be there a little bit later in the week as a guest of the Speaker of the House of Representatives. But he's been meeting today with Congressman Richie Neal, who's the chair of the Friends of Ireland uh, Congressional Caucus, to try and discuss if there's any ways that Congress can be brought to bear on some of the issues that are on Ireland's agenda. And I also understand that he had a couple of hours meetings at the Washington Post, not necessarily because he was giving any interviews, but rather just because he wanted to brief senior editorial staff there on Ireland's outlook, not alone on issues pertaining to Ukraine, but also multilateralism, Brexit and everything else going on in the world too. All right, we're going to leave it there. But as always, uh, thank you, Gavin. Good old river dance strikes again. Well, Claire Brock is over in Brussels for us tonight where the EU has sanctioned Russia over the war. Claire. That's right, Kira. Well, here in Brussels, there was agreement on new sanctions. The aim to weaken the ability of the Russian economy to fund the war in Ukraine. Now, EU leaders want to ensure that anything they impose will hit Russia harder than European economies, knowing any action comes with a cost. Earlier, I caught up with Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue, talked to him about the crisis and the impact at home. Uh, first, I began by asking him, was he personally in favour of of more sanctions applying to those on Russian energy. What we have successfully done is maintained unity of purpose in the sanctions that we have in place that has had a huge impact on the performance of the Russian economy uh, to in turn reduce their ability to fund this war. And I think any steps beyond that, overall, the things I support, but I do think we need to analyse carefully the steps that we are now considering with regard to energy independence. And looking at the impact of all of this at home, Minister, are you ruling out further measures to ease the rising fuel prices and the impact of the rising cost of living on householders? Well, look, we always keep every government decision under review and I guess this is the point at which we join up decisions that we may take regarding further sanctions or decisions with energy with the impact that they really have uh, at home and what it means for our economies and their ability to function. Uh, the government has put in place a really big set of measures. Uh, we have the €125 Euro payment to families who need additional support. We have the €200 Euro rebate on the energy credit. And now we've reduced the excise levels, which will be worth between €9 and €13 Euro on a tank of diesel and, pet and petrol. They're the measures we have in place. Uh, they will be the measures that we will focus on now, between now and the budget. I appreciate many want more. I know this is a, a difficult mes message to give at a difficult time. But again, I just need to underline that while we can help with some of the additional, co additional costs that are now being generated, they are for reasons beyond our control. And it would be dishonest of me and potentially dangerous to indicate that we can in insulate our economy 
or uh, our businesses or individuals and families from this entire cost. We can help with it, but we cannot mitigate it in its entirety. Will anything be done between now and the budget to combat the rising cost of living? Well, look, we, we will have to look at what the impact of it on, an, on our economy will be, and what these uh, higher prices are going to mean for living standards and indeed, indeed for employment. But I can be really clear uh, that the only plans we have in place are the ones that we are now implementing and we are not considering any further steps. We now have to look at the impact on this and other parts of our economy. You're already aware of the impact this is having on our, on our agricultural sector. And we're going to have lots of additional costs coming at us from a humanitarian and potentially from an economic support point of view that I'll also need to find the money for. And this is why I'm being really clear in saying the only plans that we have that I see us implementing between now and the budget are the plans that we're now actually in the process of making happen. Obviously the issue of public sector pay has also come to the fore. There are calls for a rise in public sector pay uh, to counter the rising cost of living. What would you say to those calls? How will the government respond to them? I just think it's so important that we put this issue of the future of public pay in the round uh, with all of the other issues the government will have to deal with. I'm confident we will be able to come to agreement regarding the future of public pay in Ireland. We've done it in very difficult times recently. We'll be able to do that again. But do we you are going to have this is going to be potentially an, an exceptional year, though, in terms of um, the demands that are there, the pressures people are under? We uh, could well be asked the early part of more significant change regarding the global economy, regarding the security environment within Europe and the world, and those effects could well go beyond this year. And this is why uh, I am being uh, very careful about trying to uh, put in place measures, make changes that are ones that I'm confident we can actually afford today. And the honesty, therefore, about where we stand now, I just think is incredibly important. Uh, there is change happening. It's change that's beyond the control of Ireland. And I want to ensure that any decision that I make in this year, we can either reverse next year, or if we have to sustain it for a bit longer, we're capable of doing it. Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue speaking with me earlier. Well, I'm joined now by Ireland's EU Commissioner with responsibility for financial services, Mairead McGuinness. Commissioner, thank you for joining us on the programme tonight. First two matters in Ukraine. Uh, EU leaders from Poland, the Czech Republic and Slovenia are visiting with Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky in Kyiv. What statement is that sending from Europe? Well, very clearly it's saying that we're neighbours, we're friends and we're supporting you in every way we can. Today I had a meeting with the finance minister from the Czech Republic and I think what was uh, most noted from that is how the neighbours, those who are close to Ukraine and who have very bad memories of Russia, um, two points uh, really struck me where he said, look, we have already received 250,000 refugees, mainly women and children, and it is our duty to help because we understand what it's like to be invaded mm. and clearly those countries close to Ukraine are at the moment doing the most in terms of uh, helping with refugees so really important that those leaders are there we hope they'll be safe because the reports I hear from the capital are very alarming. 
Okay, so let's focus on what the EU is doing. Um, much talk about another round of sanctions today. So far, they haven't changed the course of war in Ukraine. What do you hope this round will achieve? Well, they have changed a great deal for the Russian economy. And I think in your introduction, you mentioned this, that the objective of these sanctions are to target the war machine, the money machine. Uh, so we already see that the Russian economy is in free fall. The, the currency has crashed. Uh, they are not able to do trade. They can't do the normal things as a country can and what's really significant is that our sanctions are deep um, a, a very deep package uh, one of we would describe as massive and then if you look at what companies are doing they're taking their own decisions they're getting out of Russia so the impacts are significant yeah, but so far we haven't looked at uh, sanctions on gas and oil exports from Russia will they be under strong consideration now do you think well look everything is on the table and I think we've been saying that consistently but equally we have to and it picks up a point maybe that Minister uh, Pascal Donoghue president of the Eurogroup said we have to be careful and to analyse whatever we do next. Uh, but it's very clear that we have done a great deal at this stage to tackle um, the Russian war machine. Uh, the issue of energy is sensitive. I know that in Ireland today there's a very significant increase in gas price to consumers and clearly any action we would take on that front would have other impacts. Having said that, the people in Ukraine are suffering. I think our citizens know that they will have to carry some pain and we are concerned that this could be protracted. So we have to be very clear, honest and open about the realities of war and war close to Europe. And those alarms that we hear now are, are alarms that people in Ukraine are hearing constantly. Mm. Uh, and I think that the support amongst member states, I have to say that in my work on sanctions, we have had absolute unity from the EU27. Okay, um, President Joe Biden, we're hearing, is planning a visit to Brussels towards the end of the month for a meeting of NATO leaders. He will also join a European Council summit. What will all those talks centre on? What will be happening in Brussels? And, and where is the focus now at, at the end of the month as this war will likely continue? Well, I suppose we don't know what the situation will be with this war it, it, tomorrow, let alone in two weeks' time. But I think what's very significant is that the, the uh, global partners, the allies, are working quickly and effectively together. So for example, tomorrow I meet uh, online with uh, US counterparts, Australia and UK, G7. And here we're looking at making sure that our sanctions are uh, compatible one with the other. And if there's any area that there's leakage or a threat of that, we're going to close that down. Equally, there is discussion around uh, assets that are owned by these people that potentially there may be some discussion on, on confiscation of assets. So again, the unity of the U27 is, is deep and will last. And the unity of the allies, including the US, UK, Australia, Japan, is equally strong and we need that in order that Ukraine succeeds and that there isn't a total annihilation not just of the buildings and infrastructure but of people. Of course there was that Russian strike close to the Polish border mm -hmm. and NATO warning today of troops on heightened alert. How much concern is there at an EU level of this escalating further? Well, look, I think the concern is on the ground and it's here as well. I mean, the reason I'm here with you is that we're working night and day and uh, we're trying to impress upon people the, the extent of our work around sanctions. Uh, but we also have to look at the scenarios, what might happen next. We know what we're doing now. We have to see what happens on the ground in Ukraine. And what we're seeing today is really alarming. Uh, you'd have to say, though, the strength of the leader of um, those who are on the ground is quite incredible. And the fact that they're beaming into uh, parliaments globally is also 
quite incredible and we had them here in the European Parliament and you saw them today in Canada. Okay, well we know of course that many countries bordering Ukraine are trying to deal with a large number of people fleeing Ukraine. Let's have a listen uh, to Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Kelleher. Uh, I caught up with him earlier, he was telling me about his experience in Lviv and of the plight uh, facing people who are leaving their country. Uh, no city is safe anymore in a, in a way but they're determined and they're very resolute but they do want to ensure that those that cross the border into the European Union are looked after. They're primarily uh, women with young children or elderly people. No men are leaving Ukraine, they're staying there in, in, as part of the war effort but they do need uh, to see more support for people who are displaced, who are coming to the European Union to be processed quickly so that they can go on to uh, find accommodation in the European Union itself. That was a concern that they raised but the key issue here at the moment is to try and get the Russians to accept that they cannot indiscriminately target civilians and those uh, corridors where humanitarian relief is getting in and getting out of. And I suppose we're hearing there from Billy Kelleher about thousands of refugees coming through. How is the EU coping with the volume of this crisis, Mairead McGuinness, and the possible millions of people we're likely to see desperately seeking refu refuge in the European Union? Well, there's no doubt that the neighbouring countries today are carrying most responsibility, but all countries are doing what they need to do, including Ireland. And you're seeing people reunited with families, uh, you know, their families, whether they're in Ireland or even here in Belgium. There's, there's two issues. One is the numbers who will come across the border and we're looking mainly at women and children because the men are staying to fight. Um, so we need to be mindful of how they are looked after. They need education, they need health care and that is happening. They will have a right to work. We're also looking at how we will give them access to bank accounts for example. That's my responsibility and that's something that we're working really hard on so that they have the basic facilities to live their daily lives. Don't forget that internally in Ukraine a great number are displaced. So we need to get humanitarian aid into Ukraine so that we don't see um, awful consequences where people are locked in situations that they don't mm. have access to water or food or medical care. And that's something we're really concerned about. So I think in the coming days and weeks, we are going to see more of those refugees move to other member states. And there is really strong agreement that we have to, all of us have to carry, you know, some part of the responsibility here. Again, I refer to those who are more familiar with Russia and their tactics and I think that people are opening their homes um, they're very welcoming because they're aware that they won't suffer like this so I'm glad that Ireland is okay. playing a strong part too. Okay Commissioner Mairead McGuinness thank you for joining thank us you. on the programme tonight we'll be back later on with more response uh, to the war in Ukraine stay with us. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're very welcome back. Now let's return to that rise in gas and electricity prices, which will hit already struggling consumers and households. The Taoiseach had this reaction to the news today in Washington, where he is, of course, visiting the United States for St. Patrick's Day. This is um, one of the prices now that we're paying because of this illegal and immoral war. Um, and we will have to, obviously, collectively across the European Union, see how best we can work to shield our people and our citizens from these impacts. We won't be able to do it all, um, but we'll certainly continue to see how we can alleviate the pressures on people. Well, I'm joined by Fianna Fáil Senator Mary Fitzpatrick, Sinn Féin TD Darren O'Rourke, consumer journalist Sinead Ryan, and businessman David Horgan from energy firm Petrol Resources. You are all very welcome to the programme. I'm going to start with you, uh, Mary. So which is it? We have the Taoiseach there saying we're going to do more to you know, help shield people from the pressures of these energy increases. But before the break, we heard from Pascal Donoghue, our Minister for Finance, saying we are not considering any further measures. Which is it? Well, the government and, and us all are going to do everything that is possible to do to shield people and to shield homeowners and, and businesses. Um, but the first cost, I suppose, of the war that the Taoiseach mentioned is the human cost. And I suppose in that instance, it's about our human, humanitarian response to the people of Ukraine and our solidarity with them and ensuring that Europe demonstrates solidarity and supports the people of Ukraine. OK, but if we just look at those absolutely. price hikes today for people. Uh, 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 absolutely. Look, everybody is under pressure. Um, the costs uh, are really shocking and for most homeowners. And the government did already take action um, in anticipation of uh, the, the, the cost of living pressures in the budget last year. A billion euros targeted supports, financial supports for homeowners and businesses. The fuel increase, the living alone increase, the qualified adult uh, increase. On top of that, they've gone further and there's the electricity um, payment the 200 euros to every household that will uh, be paid in, in the coming weeks and this week those on the fuel allowance will get 125 euros lump sum payment on top of that the government has invested 8 billion euros in a home retrofitting program so that's going to allow us sustainably move reduce our, our consumption of fossil okay. fuels reduce our, our household costs but what's uh, the extra that the Taoiseach seems to be suggesting that um, he's willing to do what's the extra? I, I think what the Taoiseach was signalling very strongly is, is that just as government moved in a dynamic way to, in response to COVID the government is too going to work in a dynamic way to respond to the changing circumstances so do you expect a further financial package then for people I, I can't tell you what it'll be. I, I, I really don't know. We're living in a really unprecedented times coming out of the pandemic. Do you think there pandemic. should be? I actually think we have to see the impact of the changes that have already been made, the supports that have already been in place. And we have to, government has to monitor this situation closely. And, and homeowners will, will be experiencing these impacts over the coming weeks and months. And as that evolves, so too will government's uh, response evolve. But you feel but they, have, they have done a lot for people so far, is that what you're saying? They, 
well, €2 billion, Euros, that's quite a significant uh, uh, financial response. Absolutely it is. Will it be enough? I don't have a crystal ball. I genuinely don't know. It's a real concern for government. It's a real concern for, I think, every household in the country. Darren O'Rourke, the government are aware they have moved their significant finances on the table to support people. You agree? Well, I, well, I think I, I heard the same thing as, as you heard from Pascal Donoghue and I heard him on the radio this morning and uh, in that VT from Brussels, he, he doubled down on the position. He stated very clearly that what the government have done is what they're going to do between now and the, uh, uh, the budget in October. And it's very clear to me and to anybody who's receiving the information from Board Gosh today that it, it isn't enough. And it's not just clear to, to Sinn Féin, it's clear to St Vincent de Paul, it's clear to uh, uh, the range of NGOs who are working in, in, in the, the space of, of poverty and social justice, Social Justice Ireland. They are calling for a number of measures which Sinn Féin have called for as well in terms of the, the expansion of the, of the fuel allowance, in terms of the increase in a, a discretionary fund, in terms of the expansion of the, the exceptional needs, needs payment. Because, of, of course, there, there has been progress in relation to those, but they haven't So is that what Sinn Féin would do, would do then if they were in government? Exactly. Is that how you would and, deal with these and, um, and ongoing increases in, in as, energy prices? As part of a, a suite of measures, a cost of living measures, which we have been calling for for a number of months now, going back as far as the as the budget and, and, and before it, but specifically in relation to mitigating the impact of these, of, of these uh, energy, energy price increases. There needs to be a discretionary fund there for people who are struggling to pay and not in a, in a, in a position but to But with Sinn Féin, because we know there's going to be a series of energy price hikes. Uh, we know this, we haven't even really seen the impact of what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. Would Sinn Féin come out time and time again with a new package, new measures, more financial supports for, for, for everyone who needs it? Well, I think that needs to be on the table. It needs to be an option because the, with the no limits is, no, the, 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 within all of it I think a failure of government is to specifically target the, 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 their, their, their measures to, to those most in need so we know people who are living um, the working poor for example they, they are the group that will benefit from a discretionary fund. Sinn Féin said the government need to deliver on that. They also say in terms of the, the, the fuel allowance, it needs to be expanded. There was, do you there accept was this? Do you accept this, Mary? But, but, let Mary back no, in there. It needs because to be ex expanded to the working family payment, to people in receipt of that. Government should do that. It's not just Sinn Féin calling for it. Mary, the government needs to do more. I mean, you mentioned sort of some of the measures um, that are on the table, the 200 euro credit, the extra 125 uh, on the fuel allowance, but Sinead Ryan, who we were speaking to before the break, said we're probably talking 1,200 euro in increases in our uh, energy bills, just our, our, you know, our electricity and our gas bills in the last 18 months alone, and there's about 300 euro on the table. It's, it's nowhere near for going to cover the pressure that people are feeling. I, 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 I hear that and, and that's why the billion euro in the budget was actually targeted at those on low incomes. That's why the lump sum payment on the fuel allowance is being paid to those who are in receipt of fuel allowance. So do you think people are insulated then against I, these I, I, increases? I don't think anybody is insulated. Uh, anybody on a lower middle income is insulated um, from these increases. Not at all and nobody would pretend that's the case. If that, if that was the case, the government wouldn't be spending 1.5 billion or 2 billion to try and address it. The reality of it is as though we need to address it in a sustainable way and that's what the government is committed to and I heard Pascal Donoghue's reply there as well and 
What Pascal Donoghue said very clearly was is that he wants to make increases and he has made increases that are sustainable, that are targeted at people on low incomes. And that's critically important. Uh, you know, it's, it's all well and good to make promises and, and to promise people money. But if you're not dealing with real money and if you're making the numbers up as you go along and if you're making a statement one Sorry. day and deleting it the next day from your website so who, who are you talking I'm, about I'm there? I'm talking about Sinn Féin and St Vincent uh, de Paul obviously and, uh, and Social Justice Ireland obviously because they they have the same position I heard them literally articulated earlier today that's a clear ask of government 15 million euro discretionary fund expand a fuel allowance for those in the working family payment expand the exceptional needs payment okay. to include, include those people who are working more than 30 hours a week uh, David, you predicted that we would be paying two euro at the pumps. You were correct. We did there for a while, and indeed, I'm sure some people still are. You said that could go up to 260 a litre. Where do you see these prices in terms of the gas and electricity bills coming and landing on our, our mats, on our doorsteps? What are we going to be paying in the future? Well, sadly, what you're seeing today actually has nothing to do with Ukraine. This reflects what was happening about six months ago when there was a surge in demand. And it reflects the failure to have an energy policy, not just in Ireland, but in other European countries as well. The wholesale gas price has gone up 10 times this year. Like if you go back 15 months, it was $2 per million BTU. Now it's over $40. Uh, and Ireland is super exposed because we're dependent on two long, uh, very vulnerable pipelines uh, from Western Siberia through Scotland. So what we should have done is we should have prepared with our own energy policy. We should have developed our own gas to replace Corrib. And we should have uh, gone for, if you want low emission, we should have gone for small uh, modern uh, nuclear reactors. But before we get to I suppose, what some of the solutions might be, when um, the situation in Ukraine and Russia, when that actually hits home, and you say that hasn't actually mm. really directly impacted on our energy prices yet, where are they going to go? Well, in the case of fuel, uh, the, the, the crude price actually um, moderated over recent days, largely for technical reasons, but uh, the, the, the current prediction in about six weeks would be about 190 for petrol, uh, about two euro for diesel. However, the reason why I was worried about a much bigger spike is we've imposed the most serious sanctions on Russia that have ever been imposed on a developed economy. The word in the market is that Russians are going to retaliate. We don't know what that will look like. If they have an embargo, say to the end of the year, uh, that will cause a serious shortage in the market, which will lead to a spike in prices. Uh, Darren, you retweeted a piece actually from, um, I think it was Aidan Reid in the Sunday Business Post, which said, if we really want to show solidarity with the Ukraine, we need to ban Russian oil. Do you stand by that? And do you accept that that will actually lead to further price hikes for the consumers that you say Sinn Féin would protect? No, I, I think there is a need for a step change. We, we've, we've had a, a conversation in Ireland in relation to climate and, you know, it's, it's uh, a bit punch and duty in terms of where you are in relation to the carbon tax. My position in relation to the carbon tax is it won't deliver the types of transformational change that we need. We need. Okay, but in terms of importing Russian oil into or Russian energy into Europe, does Sinn Féin say we need to ban that if we really want to show solidarity? And are you willing to accept the impact that will have on prices? Well, those are decisions that were made at, at a European level. I think. Uh, well, what's Sinn Féin's position? Yeah, I, I think we sh we should be looking.
looking at every option in terms of the, of the, san the sanctions, and, and we should make no apology in relation to that. I think we've heard from the the, the, the Ukrainian um, politicians, you know, in terms of the implications, literally paying for the the weapons that are being used against the Ukrainian people. So, so look, there, there obviously are energy security considerations to be made in relation to that. But this this juncture needs to be a step change for the European Union in relation to its approach in relation to energy policy, and it needs to be a move towards renewables. David, you say this is a failure of this government. This has nothing actually to do with what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. Where have they failed? Well, they've, uh, they, the Lear Varadkar unilaterally, without telling his cabinet or his department of officials, uh, effectively banned offshore gas exploration. At the moment, we're only 25% self-sufficient from CORB. That's falling like a stone. A uh, major shot in the foot. Uh, we, but we did that obviously because everybody has accepted that we need to move away from fossil fuels and towards renewable energy. But the net result is greater emissions because now we're importing that gas from a great distance. And if you look at the satellite imagery of the, the Druzhba pipeline, you'll see there are big blobs of methane along the pipeline. We'd have far fewer emissions and far greater efficiency producing locally. Um, Mary, has the government sort of failed to prepare us for the transition now over to renewables? And now we find ourselves you know, in the position where we've energy prices going through the roof. We haven't yet seen what's happened in Ukraine. We're not quite prepared to move over to uh, renewables yet and, and the consumer's stuck paying for it. I think, I think previous governments uh, could, should have moved faster, absolutely, in terms of renewables. And that's something that this government is trying to make up for. Uh, it has left us exposed. Europe is exposed, as, as Peter has said. You, you know, Europe is, is exposed. So, absolutely. But I think what David is saying is we have an option here in this country. For renewables, absolutely. Not for renewables, but for further, for further, you know, oil and gas, or, or rather, gas exploration. There's nothing wrong with renewables. Like if you had hydro, like the Norwegians have, or geothermal, like they have in Iceland, that that's a perfectly uh, good solution. Wind. Our problem is that wind is variable. If you look at the total generation in Ireland, only. 55% of what we generate gets to the customer. 45% is wasted. It's like the water pipes. It's exactly comparable. And the reason, it's not the fault of the windy developers, profitable though their developments are. The problem is that it's intermittent and dispersed. Uh, therefore, you need backup, which is reliable. You either have nuclear power, you have coal, or you have gas. They're not alternatives. Okay. Ireland has an opportunity to be energy independent and it involves renewables and the move to renewables. And I think that is an opportunity that we should not spawn. It will, you know, there, there, there are commitments in, in the Climate Action Plan and elsewhere. I would encourage government to get on with it. We've had a series of hearings at the but Climate Committee, but that's the opportunity. And, and, and I think it's important to say yeah. that this is a look at the, the leverage that Russia has because of its uh, its its uh, um, uh, fossil fuel reserves, and I think that's something we we should uh, be very clear in terms of of our analysis of. Sinead, we have an opportunity, but we also have to face the reality. Uh, we're not ready to move over to renewables immediately, and we are facing these massive hikes. Look, I mean, we can have these long-term policy chats forever, and we have been having them. And um, that's stuff for down the road. It's stuff we should have done. You're absolutely correct, David. And it's stuff that we can do in the future. Families are sitting huddled around a two-bar heater with a blanket on saying, what about me right now? Mm. I would like to see a measure that could be brought in uh, I mean, rather than just continually chucking money at people, I mean, it's all very nice to do that, but it all has to be paid for or borrowed at some point, and, and it's inflationary of its own uh, sake. Keeps people but out of how, poverty. But how about if we, as we did during the COVID, if, if uh, the banks issued a moratorium, 
um, we had a, a moratorium on from revenue on pop payments. How about the, the energy regulator came in now, or indeed the government came in and said, do you know what, we are not going to cut anybody off. You can continue using your gas and electricity and we will allow you pay that bill over the next year or over the next 18 months when this settles down uh, and things have returned to normal. It's not exactly the financial before. package that people were screaming no. for on the airwaves well, today though, Mary, is it? But is, well, is this something they would consider? You, you can give 200 euros and another 200 euros and another 200. We can pay the gas and electricity to bills of everybody in this country and then we can spend not the money that we're going to spend on housing on roads on hospitals because that has to be paid back it's not a magic money tree of course people have to be supported and I would absolutely say that the 330,000 families that get the fuel allowance there are some of those by the way who are uh, in the one the pair the uh, single family allowance and that absolutely uh, should be where it's directed we were told that can't happen because the 200 quid has to All go right. to everybody but there are ways of directing it but it's, it has to be a, a quicker and a, and a more holistic approach. All right, look, we have to leave it there, but my panel is staying with me. Uh, we might return to this after the break, and we're also going back to Brussels, so do stay with us. very welcome back. Let's go back now to Brussels and Claire Brock for more on the EU and NATO response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Claire. That's right, Kira. Well, I'm joined by news correspondent in, Russell, in Brussels, Rosie Burchard. And first, uh, Rosie, I just want to talk about, I suppose it's been an issue throughout the show. It's, it's, it's certainly hitting all the airwaves. And that's the issue around rising fuel prices. Uh, calls throughout the EU for governments throughout the EU to act on this. It's not just an issue for Ireland. Claire, it's an issue that's being felt across the continent, across the European Union, in households, in people's pockets. Just here today in Belgium, for example, we've had the government unveil a new raft of measures, which includes cutting VAT on gas and electricity and assigning around a billion euros worth of funds to try and mitigate the impact of this. There have been calls for greater intervention also at the European Union level. We know that the European Commission, the bloc's executive, is working on plans on how to try and mitigate the impact of these price hikes. They might be looking into, for example, relaxing some state aid rules, but those we might hear more for the end of the month. But of course, people are feeling this in their pockets and in their households today. Uh, certainly, and to ongoing uh issues in Ukraine. Three EU Prime Ministers have headed to the heart of the war zone in Kyiv to meet with the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. What do they hope to achieve there? Claire, I think they're trying to send a very strong message of solidarity and it is being viewed as such. We see these three Prime Ministers from Poland, from Slovenia and from the Czech Republic heading into a war zone, taking the train to go to Kiev for talks with their Ukrainian counterpart. We saw images of them sitting around a table, pouring over maps. We understand they want to bring, uh, to unveil some new support for Ukraine and Ukrainians, though we've had precious little detail on what that might include. We know, of course, what Ukraine has been asking for from EU leaders is a clearer path towards membership 
of the European Union. That's something leaders discussed at their summit last week in Versailles. And while they had very welcoming words for Ukraine, they said Ukraine belongs in the European family, some leaders were just wanted to highlight there isn't that much flexibility in the treaties which set out this process toward accession. So while we heard those words saying Ukraine belongs in the family of the European Union, there wasn't really detail on if and how any such kind of fast tracking of that accession procedure could be achieved. So it looks like that's something that would not be likely to see anytime soon. Also, Rosie, we're hearing that US President Joe Biden will visit Brussels towards the end of the month and meet with NATO leaders. Um, they've been speaking today. The defence uh, ministers in NATO are meeting tomorrow here. Where's all this going? Well, Joe Biden will be here on the 24th of March. He'll first go to a summit of NATO leaders. Then he'll join European Union leaders. And today we heard from the NATO Secretary, uh, Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, who kind of previewed what they're expected to be discussing. And he said they're really looking at a kind of longer term shift in what he calls the alliance's defensive posture. So while we've seen troop movements around Europe, particularly towards the eastern flank of the alliance, Poland, Romania and other countries, we're now looking at potentially from these NATO allies a significant increase in troop presence, a significant increase in air defences. And he kept using the word lies. He said Russia has been lying, he said Russia has been lying about the intention to invade, about the intention to protect. And that's language we're not usually hearing from kind of those diplomatic characters. So he really wanted to point towards the seriousness of this situation and the fact that NATO allies are trying to address a new security situation in Europe and a new normal. Okay, Rosie, thank you for that. Well, that is it from Brussels at a critical time for Europe as it grapples with the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, for now, it's back to you, Kira. Thank you, Claire. Well, my panel is still here with me. Fianna Foil, Senator Mary Fitzpatrick, Sinn Féin, TD Darren O'Rourke, consumer journalist Sinead Ryan and businessman David Horgan. Uh, Mary, I just want to bring a tweet from one of our viewers to your attention. Uh, it's John. He's tweeted, how will the retrofit grant that you meant help households fight increasing energy costs now when the process will take months to complete and there's a shortage of labour? Uh, it'll ultimately uh, reduce people's home energy costs by about 300 euros, maybe 500 euros a year. But your tweeter is correct. It's not an immediate. And that wasn't what uh, government did as its first step. But it is really important that as well as the 200 euro payment, as well as the 125 euro lump sum payment, as well as the the uh, cuts in the excise and going further like government is working with their European partners with the European Commission to try and address these issues the cost issues that are affecting people's households immediately um, but we have to do it in a sustainable way and one that actually is meaningful to people. And there, so there may be movement there. Uh, David I just want to ask you about um, that visit uh, by those EU leaders to Kyiv to the centre of uh, some of the fighting in Ukraine today and to um, what um, Claire was talking about there, which is Joe Biden coming over for this NATO summit. The optics of it, the West is strong, the West is united, the West uh, is disgusted with Putin. How does he view that, do you think? Well, he's an autocratic leader. He's a very brilliant leader. People who know him say that he's a chess player, but he's been isolated for two years. And what often happens to these autocrats is that they get surrounded by yes men and they fall into the trap of hubris. This is what Saddam did in Kuwait and Iran when he invaded. Also what Tony Blair and George Bush did when they invaded Iraq. Uh, but you know, Russians are cynics. Uh, I hope they press Zelensky to be reasonable. The war could have been avoided. Macron's deal was on the table. It was a good deal. All they have to do is implement the Minsk Accords and make a clear declaration that NATO will not expand eastwards and we can have peace. 
Well, that might, some would say that might be a very big ask. I just want to bring it a little closer to home because we, of course, had that cabinet, uh, that virtual cabinet meeting today. Uh, Darren, we heard that they are going to be inviting 500 Ukrainians who are currently in Moldova to come and live in Ireland, um, perhaps temporarily, but, but who knows for how long. Um, have you any concerns about the setup that is here uh, and waiting and available for these people and their children? Yeah, I think um, there, there's a lot to be done. Uh, there, there is a commitment and, and the, the, the words from government are, are positive, um, but it needs to be matched in terms of the systems that, that, that need to be in place. And, and I know I noticed the, the 500 for, for Moldova. Moldova is a, a, a very different country from Ireland in terms of its, its uh, uh, readiness to, to accept refugees or 340,000 refugees in Moldova so 500 seems like a small number I would question it for a start but we do we need the we need the, the uh, health service we need the support services in schools we need la language uh, uh, supports my, my colleague Donald O'Leary pointed towards the the type of system we need in place in terms of matching um, you know there are there will be teachers coming uh, uh, as refugees from Ukraine they should be fast-tracked into the system uh, to, to teach Ukrainian kids for yeah, example. And we, and we, we understand I think that that is happening um, I just want to ask you very quickly about comments that the Taoiseach did make um, in the United States today regarding the removal of a number of press statements from uh, the Sinn Féin website. I know Mary Lou Macdonald has said they're just doing some work on the website and it was slowing them down and I don't know if they're going to be available or not going to be available. Uh, the Taoiseach said it's Orwellian and he said it's Sinn Féin are trying to change their position on uh, Russia and they're basically trying to do it secretly and get rid of the evidence. Sure, it's, it, it's nonsense, and, and we see this time and again. This type of hysteria around Sinn Féin for some reason, and then we realise actually that this type of activity is kind of standard fare within within politics, and and and, and even wider than that. Sinn Féin is, is updating its website; it's building a new website, and as part of that, it's Mary, why are you shaking your head? Because they they're making we, it up as they go along. No, they're just making it up no, as they we, go along. We've, there, had there's, the, look. we've had this with the with the with the with the opinion polling. We've had it with you know the 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 canvas materials uh, and now we have it in, in, in terms of archiving old statements. It's standard practice. You'll see it in, if not now... So they will be archived. Days. They will still be available on the website. That's Is that the, what you're that, saying? That's the, that's the, yeah, that's, that's my understanding of it. They're, they're, be, they're being archived. Understanding. It'll be interesting to see if they actually are there. I think it's really important at times like this and at all times the public representatives makes, make truthful statements and, and, and the people can trust what they say well. is what they mean. I think all you'll right. find the same, same practice applies in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, that's all from us. My thanks to my panel. We uh, are, will be back uh, tomorrow at 10 o'clock. But from all of the late crew here, take care. Good night. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.